Hello, and welcome to Songs for the Struggling Artist, the blogcast. This is episode 293. My name is Emily Rainbow Davis. Thank you for listening. You all are the best ones. You absolutely are. Thank you. Uh, today's blog is uh, about television. <laughs> Some more. <laughs> I have been obsessed with television and particularly international television. So I ended up just writing like a summary of all of the shows that I have been obsessed with these last couple of years. I hope it doesn't sound too much like an advertisement for all of these things, but it's like these are shows that I was so excited about and and aren't going to get a big media blitz. Um, so I mostly just like wanted to share them with you like I'd share with a friend. So my international guide to pandemic TV, part one. My guess is that international TV got its hooks into me these last two years because there's something about getting so far away from the world I live in they don't even speak my language. Or maybe the extra labor of reading subtitles kept my attention when it was inclined to wander. Or maybe it's like traveling in a period where I mostly just saw the kitchen table. Whatever the reason, the various streaming platforms have afforded me the opportunity of diving into international television shows galore. Just in case you've been wanting to branch out, I thought I should write up some of my favorites and bring you into my international orbit. I'm going to do this in a two-part series, as there's um a lot here, <laughs> and I think it might be too much to sort through in one sitting. This first part features Spain, Italy, and Turkey. As you may know, if you're a regular reader of the blog, this journey began with Spanish TV shows. I've talked already about Cable Girls, The Time Between, Grand Hotel, 45 RPM, and Velvet. I believe I've also made mention of High Seas, a show on which there is the world's fastest vaccine development. Missing from this list are The Cook of Castamar, which was an absolutely lush period drama set in an estate in the 18th century. It features an upstairs-downstairs love story, a few dangerous liaison -y sort of love affairs, and some royal batshittery. The ending is really abrupt, like they just ran out of film and just had to hurry up and wrap it up. But other than that, this was one of my favorite shows of the year. The cinematography was like a Vermeer painting sometimes, and the performances were extraordinary. Morocco, Love in the Time of War, which takes place at a military hospital in Morocco in the 1920s. It is full of strong lady nurses and crisp white uniforms having complicated affairs with handsome doctors. It also features some really impressive racism, and I don't mean it's good, of course, just kind of fascinating in its awfulness. I get the sense that Spain hasn't quite grappled with these things yet. My favorite part of this show is something I've nearly written about multiple times, but just never found the way. It's this love affair one of the Spanish nurses has with the Moroccan handyman. Everyone on the show is baffled by it. They just cannot understand what she's doing with this uneducated Moroccan guy. And they never mention the fact that he's just preternaturally handsome. 
Like the man is an Adonis. And not one single character is like, listen, I get it. He's nice to look at. But you should keep in mind, he can't read your letters. The whole scenario made me laugh a lot. I mean, you should see this guy. Oh, and Jaguar, a period drama about a spy ring who are trying to bring down Nazis who are harboring each other and helping one another escape in Franco's Spain. It features the stars from Cable Girls, Velvet, and 45 RPM, so of course I had to watch it, even though there aren't enough women in it. It's a rough ride. But spies! Fighting Nazis in the middle of a fascist regime! One of the few shows I've watched that isn't a period drama is The Neighbor, which is a very boring title for a very eccentric and fun show. It's a superhero story, but the man given the superpowers is kind of a shithead, and he cannot figure out how to use his powers appropriately. The show goes to some extremely unexpected places. Never once have I been able to predict where it is going. It's also very funny in a delightfully wacky way. I can't figure out how to tell you the best parts of it without spoiling it, so, you know, watch a trailer. Other contemporary Spanish shows I've watched... Valeria, which is a sort of contemporary Spanish sex in the city. Watch if you want to watch Spanish millennials pretend to have sex with each other in colorful apartments and to get a glimpse of some good-looking Spanish tortillas. Money Heist, which features actors from many other shows I've watched, so though I tried to resist it, as it seemed like it was going to have too many guns and explosions for me, ultimately, I succumbed and joined the rest of the world in being mildly obsessed with this show for a while. If there's a Spanish show you've heard of, it's probably this one. It has a dumb name in English, but its Spanish title translates to The House of Paper, which is much better. I only just finished watching it, so I'm still digesting. I may have more to say about it later. I believe I've already told you everything about the Italian shows I've watched. Zero, Luna Park... Luna Nera, and Generazione 56K. I also watched An Astrological Guide to Broken Hearts, which was a charming contemporary love work story. One of my favorite shows out of anywhere has been The Club, a show from Turkey that Netflix sold me on almost as soon as it came out. Sometimes they really nail it. Most times they don't. I find it hilarious how often they suggest shows I have already watched. Like, you know I watched that already. I watched it here. Anyway, the club mostly takes place in and around a nightclub in Istanbul. So it's a showbiz show, and you know I'm a sucker for a showbiz show. But it's also about this period in the 50s where nationalism and racism were on the rise. The Turkish Business Council seems to be gaining in power and targeting anyone who isn't Muslim. Living in a country where Muslims are often the targets, as I do, I found it very interesting to see these power dynamics reversed. One thing I learned from reading about it that wasn't obvious in watching it is that there are several languages spoken in the series. To my ear, it all just blended together, so I had no idea some folks were identifying themselves by their language sometimes. There's one moment where a character speaks Greek to another, who isn't actually Greek, and it condemns him. I'd love to be able to understand at least one of the languages spoken to catch some of these distinctions, or to have it noted in the titles which language is being spoken, but it's just as thrilling with the subtitles as they were. 
and the musical numbers are both good theater and good music. The story is complicated, and I didn't always trust where they were going, but it made for some really interesting questions about redemption and loss. The club was so good, I instantly searched for other Turkish shows or movies, but failed to find anything yet. We'll leave it here with my new taste for Turkish TV simmering. Part two will feature shows from France, Germany, Mexico, Colombia, Brazil, and beyond. So this is part one. Um, Part two, we sort of spread out a little bit. This is a fairly contained geographical area. (laughs) Um, These countries are close to each other. Uh, So, I don't know. uh, Oh, I should tell you, if you're in the United States, I think most of these shows are on Netflix. I I know I don't want to be an advertisement for Netflix um, because screw them. But uh, sometimes it is frustrating to be like, oh, somebody tells you about a great show and you're like, but where do I find it? Uh, But I know that internationally, you know, Netflix has different things that are available in different countries at different times. And I always find it funny if I'm traveling and I've been like watching a show and I'm like, oh, I can keep watching it here in Canada, for example. And it's like, nope, they don't have this show in Canada. (laughs) And you're like, right, we are different countries. It's true. Uh, So I apologize if you cannot find these shows and you want to see them. Um, it's not, I, 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 I would like to make them available to you, especially if you want to watch them. Um, it's also funny. I didn't say this anywhere and I don't think I've said it elsewhere, but I, I feel like before the pandemic, I would always think, oh, I should watch, you know, whatever with the subtitles. And then I just like not feel like doing it ever. And then all of a sudden I turned some weird corner where now I'm like, D- is it in English? Ugh. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, yeah, no, it's true. Uh, so a song here I have for you is uh, the song from Money Heist. Um, Money Heist, again, silly name for a show, uh, but extremely popular around the world. There's like a documentary also on Netflix about how this show became a worldwide phenomenon and has actually made a really big difference in terms of like um, sort of protest and activism in various countries. And the song that features in the show uh, in a big way has become also kind of an anthem for these kinds of Protests. A lot of them are protests either sort of about economic conditions or against fascist governments. Um, so I think that's pretty neat. Um, and the song is uh, Bella Ciao. Bella Ciao, I've learned more about as I have been working on it for this podcast, um, is, is sort of known as an anti-fascist um, anthem from World War II. That's its kind of reputation is that the, um, you know, the resistance forces in Italy sang this song. As I've done more research, it turns out maybe not. <laughs> like they asked some actual, you know, resistance fighters from Italy from the time and they did not sing this song. 
Um, so it may be some, some you know, retrofitting uh, anti-fascism onto the previous anti-fascists. Um, it's a nice story, so we can stick with it. And it is also the story in the show, so... Um, but worldwide, this song has apparently become like a huge, huge kind of signal for resisting fascism and economic oppression, which is pretty cool. And I've learned that the song originally came out of economic uh, difficulties. It was uh, initially a folk song in the late 1800s. Uh, sung, created by a group of women who worked in the rice paddies in Italy. And they created this song. Um, and they have the lyrics for it. And I, if I had discovered these lyrics before today, I would have also learned um, this version of the song for you. So I'll save that for another time. Um, but then the song sort of transformed to become this uh anti-fascist anthem later. So they they turned uh, an economic empowerment song because basically the, the original song was talking about the backbreaking quality of the work and being oppressed by their bosses. And, you know, it's a, it's a workers' rights song, which is kind of awesome. This song has kind of made this journey through anti-fascism and through resistance of various kinds and economic, you know, protests and... Anyway, I think there's there's uh, probably a few uh, theses and <laughs> dissertations about this song somewhere that I would like to read. Um, yes, so I have learned it, and so have many, many other people. And I thought, oh, you know what? I bet somebody's already using this in relationship to the war that's going on in Ukraine right now. Um, so I Googled Ukraine and Bella Chow, and of course, there are multiple videos where they are showing footage from Ukraine uh, accompanied by Bella Chow. Um, still in Italian. There's, I guess, not a Ukrainian version. Of course, we don't have an English version either. So I think it's just going to be in Italian. I mean, the Money Heist is a Spanish show with an Italian theme song, so... Anyway, there's there's a, a lot of layers. Um, also, I found a, a version in Hindi, but about Ukraine, which I found fascinating. And I found one about the Ukraine uh, Crimea situation in 2014, um, using Bella Chow as well. But it was about a previous war in Ukraine. <laughs> so, wow. Um yeah, so I'll play that song for you in just a minute. Meanwhile, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please tell someone about it. Share it, subscribe, write a review on iTunes. So many fun things to do. Um, if you would like to support the show, please uh, become my patron on Patreon, patreon.com slash Emily R. Davis. There's also Kofi and PayPal. All those links are in the show notes. Also a link there to my audio drama, The Dragoning, fundraising now for season two. We are 17% funded, I think. Woo-hoo. Um, yeah, so thank you for listening. And uh, here I shall give to you Bella Chow on ukulele. At some point, I will learn the other Bella Chow from the workers.
And I'll play that for you at that point once I have learned it. But meanwhile, I'm sending this one out to the folks fighting fascism in Ukraine. Here is Bella Chow. Del partigiano morto per 